0: Welcome, Education Advocates. You're tuned in to State House Spotlights, your source for the most recent developments in education legislation nationwide. I'm Tom Green.
1: And I'm Ashley Mullins. As National Legislative Directors at ExcelNet in Action, we lead the Ledge Affairs team and collaborate with leaders and policymakers nationwide to champion student-centered K-12 education solutions. Today, we're also joined by our Legislative Director in the Southeast, Miranda Williams. Welcome, Miranda. We're really excited to have you on the show today. And your region is sure busy this legislative session.
2: Yeah, well, hi everyone. The Southeast has been very busy this legislative session. We've been working to advance student-centered policies in many different ways from literacy, school choice, cell phone bands, and much more. Over the last several weeks, I've had the pleasure of visiting South Carolina, Tennessee, and this week I'm back in my home state of Georgia at the state capitol. And it's very busy here. Lots of great students seeing their state capitol. So I'm
1: excited to be here today with you all. Wonderful, Miranda. We love to hear about your travels to the states. And we'll get into the weeds on some of the bills that you just teased a bit more in our state actions update. For any new listeners who are with us today, every week on this podcast, our team monitors education bills and we report highlights and emerging trends from the states. Later in today's episode, we'll also investigate the critical role of third grade retention policy when it comes to early literacy initiatives across the country. And we'll explore the significance of ensuring every student can read on grade level before entering fourth grade. What better time than as we're heading into National Reading Month to talk about this crucial checkpoint for kids, right, Tom?
0: Absolutely. We have a lot to discuss. I think on this episode, we're going to dig into third grade retention policies, or you often hear them called third grade promotion policies, third grade reading gate. But these are critical parts of a comprehensive early literacy program in a state. The states that have the most success have a retention policy in third grade, and it's not your old school retention. It is a retention that ensures students get the supports and interventions they need to be successful. We'll dig into what these policies are exactly, why are they vital to student success, and which states are considering these type of policies. We'll dig in more into that in just a few moments, but first I'll run through this week's legislative highlights from the states. Let's start with Florida. House Bill 1 really has created a stir nationally. It is sponsored by Representative Sir Roy, Representative McFarlane, and Senator Grawl. House Bill 1 passed the Senate and now sits on the governor's desk. Governor DeSantis will have to act pretty quickly as the deadline comes for him to take action. This bill would protect students and their mental health because it would restrict social media for anyone under the age of 16. Probably one of the strongest bills in this area in the country. The goal of this bill is to ensure students are not accessing harmful content. We've seen the results of kids and their mental health and the level of anxiety that has increased since social media has taken off. And so Governor DeSantis has a big decision to make whether he will be a national leader and restrict social media for anyone under the age of 16. So, very exciting. We'll see what happens there. In Idaho today, which is February 27th, Governor Brad Little is set to sign House Bill 422, which would expand public school options for thousands of Idaho families by improving and modernizing the state's charter school sector. House Bill 422 was sponsored by education champions Representative Boyle and Senator Den Hartog. This new law eliminates unnecessary barriers, streamlines authorization processes for high-quality charter schools. It lays a new and fairer, more predictable foundation for high-performing charters to replicate and expand. In addition, House Bill 422 better serves students by equalizing funding for children with special needs and opening the door to, to allow more innovative school models to take root in Idaho. You know, the state has a really strong homegrown charter sector, and I think a lot of that is thanks to the support from our friends at Bloom and the Albertson Family Foundation, who have supported the growth of this sector for more than a decade. Also in Indiana, lots of great work happening in the state around early literacy, and we'll dig into that later. I know Ashley will go through that, as there's a lot of pending legislation to strengthen their policy there. But on the math front, Representative Teshka Representative Bob Boehning, Representative Goodrich, their bill, House Bill 1304, heads to its final Senate committee stop this week. This bill would require the Department of Education to develop a plan to tackle math screening and interventions for struggling students. I know we've talked a lot about math on previous episodes. This bill started as a comprehensive bill that we were very excited about. But I think due to it being an off-budget year, it's probably best to have this conversation in the legislature in 2025. So this bill kind of sets that up and we're excited to see what the department creates when it comes to this plan. We know that they're interested in developing a comprehensive policy that would screen students, identify students who struggle in math and provide them the interventions they need to be successful by Algebra 1. In Alabama, Alabama Governor Kate Ivey's parental choice legislation has forward momentum. The House bill, sponsored by Representative Denny Garrett, House Bill 129, passed committee and awaits a vote on the House floor. This bill would create an education scholarship account program for low-income students that would become universal in its third year. The Senate Companion Bill, Senator Orr's, Senate Bill 61, awaits a committee vote. Before I turned over to Miranda to walk us through the bills in her states, I would like to highlight some disappointment. Um, in Arizona, House Bill 2675 passed this week on a party line vote. This bill would weaken school accountability by removing A through F letter grading for schools and replacing it with vague performance classifications. You know, it's hard to understand the thinking here. Arizona has been a leader. In a lot of education policy not just parental choice they've been a leader on accountability and they've had an a through f school letter grading system for more than a decade and we think that that's part of the recipe for success in a state when you look at states who've been successful in raising student achievement they're clear about how their schools are performing they're transparent they give parents meaningful data and meaningful information about what's happening in the school and this is a step back. It's interesting cuz the GOP there have typically been the party of raising expectations and giving parents a clear view of how schools are performing as a whole, and there's no better or more clear rating than A through F school letter grades. So, this is a national outlier for sure and I'm hopeful Senate Republicans will block this bill from moving forward. I know Senate President Schope is a strong and fearless education champion and his leadership will make a difference here. So, With that, Miranda, there's been a lot of action in your region. What bills are you working on in Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina?
2: Sure. So in South Carolina, we are working on S-418, which is an early literacy bill, which is their reform bill to their 2014 Read to Succeed Act. And I'll be talking about that a little later in the podcast. So we'll get into details then. So in Georgia, we also have early literacy work going on. So last year, Georgia passed HB 538, which was a comprehensive literacy bill that included universal reading screeners, ensures high quality instructional materials are in the classroom, mandates teachers training in the science of reading and much more. Implementation is going well and we hope to see Georgia continue to reduce some screeners on their state level list. Uh, they started with 16 screeners, they've now reduced that to 13 and we're hoping to see more reductions and better alignment in the near future. And in terms of school choice, Governor Kemp in January announced in his state of the state that he was supportive of school choice measures uh, being taken up by the Georgia legislature. We've got Senate Bill 233 sitting in the House in committee. So we hope to see that bill move and then cross back over to the Senate for an agree and then head to Governor Kemp's desk. We are working with partners, legislators, and coalition members to get that bill across the finish line. In Tennessee, we had two big wins in math and AI. The math bill requires the Tennessee Department of Education to approve a professional development course on math instruction at no cost to educators in K-8, and it requires an analysis of current math proficiency levels in the state, and their AI bill requires local boards of education to create clear rules and policies for AI use in schools. Both of these bills have received final passage and are headed to Governor Lee's death. Another topic in Tennessee is their smartphone ban legislation. Representative Alexander's smartphone ban bill would require local boards of education to adopt a policy to ban smartphones from schools during instructional time. It passed its first committee last week and actually got to catch Representative Alexander after committee to share our support for the legislation and discuss the need for this crucial um, piece of legislation. And the hottest topic in Tennessee are the three education freedom account bills. So there are two bills in the Senate. One is the governor's version and one is the Senate's version. They're very similar. The bills have a student cap of $20,000 for the 2024-2025 school year and no cap for the 2025-2026 school year. The two differences between the bills are that the Senate version includes open enrollment provisions and assessment language. But the major thing I wanted to highlight was the House version of the Tennessee bill, We are watching this very closely. This bill has deregulation language in it for public schools, or what we like to say as lowering expectations for public schools. So we will be watching this closely. As you can see, the Southeast is very busy. I'm so proud of my region and look forward to continue to work hard for it.
0: Yeah, Miranda, wow. There's so much happening in this region, so much that will have national implications. You know, first of all, I think we have to say we're very thankful for Governor Kemp, Governor McMaster, and Governor Lee. All three of them have been strong leaders for education. They've been out front on multiple issues, and it's just incredible to see their leadership lead to good policy passage year after year. Gosh, that Tennessee House bill, that will give us some heartburn there. I mean, it is important for states as they take steps forward to not pass legislation to then take a few steps back. You know, we've seen this. We talked about this on other episodes where you have this push where if you have a universal ESA proposal or if you have an ESA law on the books, there's a move to deregulate, and to your point, Miranda, what we like to call it lowering expectations, for public schools. And we've talked about this before. We had our CEO, Patricia Levesque, on to talk about how these sectors are very different. And she shared a quote about how you regulate a monopoly differently than you regulate the market. And as public officials, we should not be giving up our oversight of public schools because you pass a universal school choice program. So that's very concerning to have some language in there, right, Miranda? They they roll back testing for high schoolers. They reduce the frequency of teacher evaluations. There's a lot of a lot of things to concern about.
2: Yes. Very concerning because Tennessee has just made such great strides, you know, under Governor Lee's leadership. And we would hate to see any of that be rolled back. Um, It does reduce the assessment requirement to the federal minimum, um, except in sixth through eighth grade, there is a social studies assessment. But we would hate to see any of the great work that has happened over the last five years under Governor Lee's leadership rolled back. We want to have strong accountability measures in our public school system as well as a great school choice program and so we're watching this very closely we're working with partners we're working with legislators to make sure that we uphold all of the great work that tennessee has done
0: amen amen that is such a good point it is vital that states tackle the education system from multiple angles and providing more options for families is a critical lever for change But you have to do other things as well. And Tennessee's certainly been a leader. And I know if it's up to Governor Lee, there will not be a rollback. And we're encouraged by his leadership, but also the leadership in the Senate. I think if you talk to senators there, they, you know, want to ensure a return on investment for taxpayers. Part of that is knowing where our students are. And you have to test to know if students are learning. So, you know, I taught high school in North Carolina and California, and I had a state test. I loved my state test. It was an opportunity for my students to shine. I don't separate testing from instructional time. Testing is a part of instructional time. I know we hear this from opponents that the more you test, the more you take away from instruction. Those go together. I needed to know where my students struggled. And I needed that information. And the only way I could get that were through quizzes and tests. And then the end-of-course test was an opportunity for my students to show how much they've learned. And I was really proud that my students excelled and knocked it out of the park because we didn't necessarily focus on the test. We taught beyond the test. And, and I think if we message it the right way, tests aren't that scary. They're a necessary part of life, and they're an important data point for policymakers and for parents.
1: Well said, Tom and Miranda. Thank you so much for giving us the latest and the greatest across the states happening last week and this week. Miranda, we can't say it enough, right? The Southeast is such a a busy place for education policy. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. All right, let's go ahead and transition to today's hot topic. We'll start by discussing what third grade retention entails and why it has become such a focal point in early literacy discussions. It's a policy aimed at ensuring students are proficient readers by the end of grade three before advancing to fourth grade. Research shows that the third to the fourth grade threshold is crucial for reading and learning, setting the foundation for future academic success. Tom, tell us why third grade is so important for students.
0: Yeah, third grade is a pivotal year. Research shows that that's the year kids transition from learning to read to reading to learn and retention. In third grade, is critical because we're giving kids more time to catch up, and these laws play a significant role in ensuring students have those foundational literacy skills needed for future success. By this age, students need to be prepared for more rigorous academic content, and the climb is much steeper after third grade. You know, I mentioned earlier that I taught high school, and sometimes I had students who struggled to read in high school. And I would say that those students would have benefited from a retention policy because they would have been held back for a year, given more interventions, more supports, more of a focus to help them get those foundational skills so that they're ready to progress. I mean, I started every every lesson with an article that they had to read that connected to that day's learning. And so those students started at a disadvantage. And then as a high school teacher, I didn't have the tools or the knowledge to help my kids learn to read or the time, frankly. It was very challenging. So I think this is actually a teacher-friendly policy. You know, we also hear about students that are held back in third grade, you know, they have lower self-esteem or it hurts their feelings. But, you know, there may be some truth to that. But I think in the long run, their self-esteem is going to be much greater because they're going to be able to read and take on this more rigorous academic content. So I think it's actually a good thing. And it can be difficult in the short term, but it's how we message it. And hopefully we're catching kids before third grade. Hopefully we're giving them the interventions and supports. That's what the purpose of these comprehensive policies are about. It's not about retention. It's about helping kids get on grade level well before third grade. You know, when you look at Florida in 2002, our chairman, Governor Bush, led an effort to pass one of the nation's first comprehensive early literacy policies where they had a retention policy that kicked in the next school year. That sent a shock to the system. So these retention policies are not only good for students, but it helps the system get reoriented in a way that's like, okay, we need to be laser-like focused on third grade, or we're going to have a bunch of kids that are held back.
1: That is so true, Tom. I think about that all the time. And when we talk about comprehensive early literacy policies, when we're chatting with state lawmakers, retention is not meant to be a punishment for the student, right? When coupled with all of the other fundamental principles that we espouse as a part of a comprehensive approach, it becomes a check on the system to make sure those kids are identified early and often and that interventions happen immediately.
0: Yeah. And I think we've seen a lot of activism by parents in state capitals, especially among parents who have students with dyslexia, because, you know, the system's not working for students who have dyslexia. So these comprehensive early literacy policies are even more critical for those families because those students are struggling And they need those interventions they need those supports and they need the extra time to catch up Um, so it's been encouraging to see the political activism of, of families we know we've seen it for a long time in the private school choice space the charter school choice space but now we're seeing a lot more activism around early literacy and getting systems more oriented to the science of reading i know we've talked about that in previous episodes And I think we would strongly advocate for states that are talking about the science of reading to have that third grade reading gate so that you have a backstop. And I think you're going to see more success with all the investments these states are pouring into early literacy when you ensure that you have that line in the sand that says, if you're not prepared, you can't move on. We're going to make sure that you're prepared so that as you take on more rigorous and more difficult content, you have those foundational skills.
1: Tom, I was so glad you brought up the advocacy of parents of students with dyslexia. In fact, I wanted to say there's a member of the New York Assembly who himself has dyslexia. He has a bill that would actually require insurance to cover the cost of neuropsychological exams to diagnose dyslexia because access to appropriate screening and diagnostic testing poses a barrier to students who are slipping through the cracks. That's why these comprehensive approaches to literacy are just so critical Early identification and intervention are key to getting kids ready for that third grade gate. And if our schools aren't focused on this, you know, what exactly are they focused on? This is it. Like, this is the most important thing.
0: Amen. It is certainly important. It's challenging politically. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later in this episode, but the politics around this can be challenging because it is a culture shift. And I think we will talk about this later about the communication, how it's important to communicate. The State Department of Education communicating with districts, districts communicating to parents, because the retention policy, if you just learn about it right before your kid's about to be retained, you're, you're, you may be upset and it may cause some political backlash. And so I think that's an important component to remember that leaders have to stand strong. And we've certainly seen that from Governor Bush to Governor Lee in Tennessee. Governor Reeves in Mississippi, standing strong and defending the third grade reading gate, ensuring kids have more time. So uh, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, over the past few years, many states have implemented new early literacy policies and third grade retention laws are a part of those in about half the states. This can be a controversial topic, as we mentioned. The rationale behind these laws is to provide struggling students with additional support and individualized intervention to ensure they're prepared for life, for more rigorous content as they move through their educational path. Third grade retention laws are not about punishment. I know you mentioned that, Ashley, and it's, it's about helping students thrive. And so there's a lot of evidence to back up retention policies, right? Ashley, what are you seeing?
1: Research has shown that students who struggle with reading in third grade are more likely to experience long-term academic and life challenges in terms of unemployment, financial struggles, and even prison sentences. Just check out the research from the Barbara Bush Foundation on adult illiteracy. 130 million adults in the United States struggle to read basic sentences. I mean, can you imagine how much of a struggle everyday life is when you can't read basic sentences? And we can head this off early by ensuring that students are proficient readers by the end of third grade. States that have fully implemented third grade retention policies have seen promising results. According to a recent study from Michigan State University, a doctoral student in education policy along with her colleagues conducted a great analysis of early literacy laws. They compared states with retention mandates to a subset of those states that also implemented comprehensive literacy policies. These policies encompass teacher training, coaching, funding, and a robust support system for struggling students. The study did show that states with that third grade retention mandate, they experienced improvements in reading scores over time. For example, Florida increased its fourth grade reading scale score on NAEP, or what we often refer to as the nation's report card, by 13 points, going from 2014 back in 2002 to 227 in 2015, That's equivalent to an improvement of one and a half grade levels for Florida students. That's huge. Florida now ranks third in the nation. And then Mississippi has also gone from 49th to 21st in fourth grade reading over the last decade on NAEP. Between 2011 and 2019, Mississippi's fourth grade reading score on NAEP increased by 10 scale score points. That's the equivalent of a full grade level, the largest gain of any state in the nation during that time period. In 2022 and post-pandemic, Mississippi scored higher than the nation for the first time, scoring 217 to 216, respectively. The research surrounding third-grade retention is multifaceted, with studies offering varying perspectives on its effectiveness. Some do highlight the potential negative consequences. Tom, you mentioned some of these earlier, such as increased dropout rates and stigmatization of those who get held back. But others show that retention can provide struggling students with additional support and time to catch up. And those have long-term benefits for those students. Tom, even with these promising results, there's a lot of opposition to third-grade retention policies as we've seen across the country. Why is that? And can you help us debunk some of the misconceptions about the policy?
0: Yeah, I'm happy to. And just hearing all the results, it is amazing how many adults and how many kids struggled to read. And you know, we've talked in previous episodes about being internationally competitive. There's no way we can be internationally competitive if our population isn't able to read. It is such a foundational skill. And so I think that's alarming. You know, you talked a lot about Florida, Mississippi, and I think we're seeing some strong early results in Tennessee. It's because they've implemented these policies with retention. But to your point, it comes with a lot of opposition. So opposition to third grade retention laws often stems from concerns About the negative consequences for students, families, and schools. Those against them argue that retaining students based solely on reading proficiency can have negative effects on their academic and social well being. They like to highlight research suggesting that retention can lead to lower self esteem, increased dropout rates, long term disengagement from school. In addition to that, opponents express concerns about the disproportionate impact of retention on marginalized and low income students. Who may already face systemic barriers to academic success. However, these criticisms overlook the underlying intention and potential benefits of third grade retention laws when implemented effectively. Retention policies serve as a crucial intervention to provide struggling students with those additional supports and resources needed to improve. In fact, I believe retention shines a bright light on the students who are slipping through the cracks to ring the alarm and ensure that students get additional support services and that individualized attention. By following this framework of identification, intervention, then retention, schools can first identify students, help them improve, and then you have third grade as a backstop. All of these identification, the interventions, bringing the parent in to notify them of where students are specifically struggling, all that should be happening in kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. You're getting multiple years of support and intervention so that by third grade, you shouldn't be retained. That's the goal. The goal is not to retain students. The goal is to be proactive and to help students early so that they don't have to worry about being held back in third grade. This is just like the backstop for those students where those interventions and supports haven't called on as well, and they need a little bit more time to catch up.
1: That's right, Tom. It's really important to recognize that there is a nuanced nature, right, when it comes to these policies and their potential benefits when implemented as a part of a comprehensive approach to early literacy. And I stress the word comprehensive. We've talked about it on previous episodes. You know, I don't know of anybody who's advocating for a retention policy for retention's sake. The goal is not just to hold students back, right? It is to catch those struggling readers early and often throughout that early learning career and make sure that they are ready to move on by third grade. And then providing those, you know, few students who are still struggling at the end of third grade with that additional time to catch up. And so by providing those struggling students with the necessary support and resources Retention laws also play a critical role in promoting academic success and ensuring that all those students can thrive as they keep progressing on their educational journey. I should also note retention policies typically incorporate provisions for good cause exemptions. You'll see that if you take a look at our model legislation at Excel and Ed in Action, particularly for students who may not benefit from being retained, right? Those include some students with disabilities or English language learners who have been in an English language or an EL program for less than two years, And additionally, many states offer some discretionary exemptions too, often granted based on parent advocacy or with the advice of teachers, because those are the folks who see these students. And so we certainly advocate for those to be included in a comprehensive policy that includes retention. Miranda, let's go ahead and bring you in here. Tennessee is one of your states, and this was a really hotly debated issue there last session, but evidence and research and really good policy in general prevailed and the policymakers there stood strong. Tell us about the arguments and what worked to help combat a rollback of this important piece of policy.
2: Sure, Um, before the 2023 legislative session, there was a widespread campaign pushing legislators to weaken or repeal the new literacy promotion requirements before the August 2023 implementation date. Due to lack of communication that was mentioned earlier and awareness of the benefits of this policy, there were more than 15, 15 bills to weaken this law. Governor Bill Lee and lawmakers were pressured to consider making decisions to change this policy. Our team quickly mobilized to support Governor Lee's administration and worked with legislators to protect the current retention law. Our team testified before Tennessee committees on the success of Mississippi's Literacy-Based Promotion Act and the similarities to Tennessee's literacy law. The testimony included research briefs on the efficacy and long-term benefits of retention. As a result of this work, lawmakers ultimately preserved the retention requirements and passed SB 300 and HB 437, which make slight changes to the existing law without compromising the law's original intent. These changes include new data and reporting requirements, minor changes to the appeals process, new requirements to provide tutoring to any student retained in grades K through 3 and an additional narrow promotion pathway for certain third-grade students who score approaching on the state ELA exam. This bill was signed into law by Governor Bill Lee. And it all comes down to strong research in doing what's best for children and their future success. You know, in the real world, this has very much real-world implications. You know, if you're a third-grader who can't read, you may not be able to read a birthday card or write a birthday card. If you're a young adolescent that can't read, You may not be able to get your driver's license or take your driver's license stuff. And if you're an adult, you may not even be able to fill out that job application. So third grade retention, comprehensive literacy policies are
1: critically important for states to pursue. And I'll turn it back to you, Ashley. Thanks, Miranda. So see, Tennessee does have a really strong track record of not rolling back critical policies that help kids. And so we hope that also happens this session. Right now, there are ongoing debates and legislative actions taking place in states across the country on this early literacy policy principle and others. We've talked to you over the past few weeks about Indiana Senator Linda Rogers' Senate Bill 1, and we're really excited. It's currently being considered by the full House this week. Hopefully, it'll be on its way to the governor's desk really soon. This early literacy bill would provide summer school intervention and supports for struggling young readers. It requires universal screening along with parent notification, Progress monitoring and reading instruction aligned to the science of reading for K-2-8 students, very important. And it also strengthens the third grade promotion gate in that state, which we're excited to see for all of the reasons that we've talked about so far. In Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds has a bill and it passed its final committee stop. It's heading to the Senate floor. This bill strengthens early literacy by banning the harmful instructional practice of 3 queuing, incentivizing and, and instructing Students to guess based on pictures and and other cues and it's a disproven method. It requires personalized reading plans for struggling students and it also creates a retention opt-in for third grade students who are not proficient in reading. And so this one is doing a little bit of the opposite. Parents can actually advocate to have their students have a little bit more time to catch up if they're struggling. And then in South Carolina, Miranda teased this one for us a little bit earlier. Senator Hebry's, bill strengthens South Carolina's approach to early literacy by aligning the Read to Succeed Act with the science of reading. Miranda, why don't you jump into that bill for us?
2: Yes, I'm so excited about this bill. In fact, we are hopeful this bill will get its final vote this week and will head to Governor McMaster's desk. S-418 is a collaborative effort between the House, Senate, Department of Education, and the Governor's office. In 2014, South Carolina adopted its Read to Succeed Act. This law introduced summer reading camps, literacy endorsement requirements for teachers, and reading plans to ensure students are proficient in reading before entering the fourth grade. Over the last 10 years, South Carolina has learned many best practices from around the nation regarding the science of reading. This bill improves the 2014 Read to Succeed Act by one, ensuring teacher professional development, training and licensure is rooted in the science of reading, Two, the bill bans harmful three queuing strategies and instructional materials and reading instruction. Three, it requires the Department of Education to ensure all students pre-K and kindergarten receive an approved readiness assessment within the first 45 days of the school year. Four, it strengthens universal screening for all K-5 through five students three times per year and ensures parents are notified of their child's performance And finally, it extends summer learning camp opportunities to first and second grade students. As you all can see, this is a very, again, comprehensive bill that will help many students, teachers, and parents. This will also help students be ready for the fourth grade when reading to learn becomes critically important. I want to thank Governor McMaster, Senator Hembry, Representative Erickson, and Superintendent Weaver for their great work on early literacy.
0: Yeah, I want to jump in here. I I think it's interesting, both Miranda and Ashley brought up two states that are going back to strengthen their early literacy policy. So they did some work. So Miranda, you mentioned South Carolina did some work like 10 years ago. Indiana, similar story. And you have legislators there to say, oh, I think we have some gaps. I think we have some things that we can strengthen and build on. So it's encouraging to see these legislators and governors saying we've got to do more and we've got to build on this. And I think a lot of this is being led by Secretary Jenner in Indiana, Superintendent Weaver in South Carolina with the support of the other leaders, obviously the governor and legislators, to go back and strengthen. And I think there are critical policies that need to be in place to have a comprehensive early literacy plan. And and we at Excel and Ed in Action can help your states if they want to strengthen their policy And we can look at an audit to see what you have and what you're missing. So this is a shout out to the education advocates listening. If you're interested, reach out to us. and We're happy to work with you to think about how we can make some good recommendations to strengthen your early literacy policies.
1: Thank you so much for that update, Miranda, and your insights, Tom. We'll continue to keep an eye on South Carolina and fingers crossed for a signature in the very near future. Tom, we've talked at length about why third grade retention is a good thing and which states are still working towards making this policy a reality. Let's go ahead and talk implementation because that's equally important following the passage of laws. What happens after these laws are enacted in the states and what does it look like?
0: Third grade retention implementation, which again, should be a part of a comprehensive policy that's providing, as we said, identification, intervention, supports, parental notification, that implementation can vary from state to state. But there are several common strategies that have emerged to ensure effective implementation. I think we're going to talk about some of those. The first strategy is simply leadership. You need strong and unwavering political leadership from governors and legislators to stand behind these policies when the rubber hits the road, because this is a culture shift. You know, when you talk to educators, I think sometimes they get overwhelmed by things that change or, you know, different requirements that are mandated by the state or the districts, but but these policies have a high return on investment and they can make a huge impact for students. And so ensuring that as change happens, because change is difficult, it's, it's human nature to kind of resist change at first. And so uh, when you feel that resistance from teachers and parents, it's important for leaders to stand strong and make the case and remind their constituents why they took action on this in the first place and that we've seen in the long run if states stand strong they produce results so i think that's one you know mississippi has been proactive in its approach by deploying literacy coaches at no expense to districts and that's a key ingredient these coaches work closely with teachers provide targeted support and interventions for those struggling readers helping to address those challenges in the classroom in real time. These reading coaches also serve as an informal feedback loop to the department to help deploy researches to schools that could be struggling. So, you know, these literacy coaches are on the ground, helping teachers become more effective in their approach to supporting struggling readers. But they're also able to bring information back to the department to say, hey, this school that I'm currently serving needs some more attention, more focus, more support, and the state can then deploy resources based on that feedback. Additionally, Mississippi established a state-approved reading screener, allowing educators to assess students' reading abilities accurately and identify those who need additional support. The Mississippi Department of Education also prioritized open communication with districts, principals, and parents to ensure that all stakeholders are informed and involved in the implementation process as state officials, you know, facilitate a a transparent and collaborative approach to addressing these literacy concerns. I can't say it enough, communication is critical for the effective implementation of early literacy policies. I think that's really any policy, to be honest, like we talk about any policy in in the toolkit that Excel and Ed and Action recommends. Communication has to be central to the implementation effort. It has to be frequent. It has to come with meaningful, actionable information. The state has to communicate the requirements and deadlines of the policy to districts while they're trying to deploy resources to support the districts in implementation. Then districts have to communicate to principals, teachers, and parents to raise awareness about the early literacy policies and this culture shift Around screening and progress monitoring and individualized learning plans and the potential for retention in third grade, all that has to be communicated to all the stakeholders. Because if this is going to be successful, it's going to take everyone. This is, you know, the policy passes, it's just on paper. And when the action occurs with the department implementing and districts getting behind it, teachers buying in, parents buying in, I think that's where you're going to see your most success. And we've certainly seen that in states that have been mentioned during this episode.
1: That's so true, Tom. And it bears repeating once more. Third grade retention is just one component of a comprehensive policy aimed at promoting student success. Beyond retention, it's helpful to note that states like Tennessee have implemented various initiatives like summer learning camps or in-school tutoring to help support those struggling readers. Summer learning camps can provide that intensive literacy instruction during the summer months, helping students to bridge learning gaps and maintain their progress. And then similarly, in-school tutoring programs offer personalized support to those struggling readers, allowing them to receive targeted interventions tailored to their specific needs within a school. So just so important to note that these policies are not done in a vacuum, and they all work together to help struggling readers. And on the implementation piece, right, there's a much larger story to tell about comprehensive early literacy Policy implementation across the states, perhaps for another podcast in the future. Uh, but in the meantime, our sister organization, Excel and Ed, recently launched an incredible new tool on the early website. There are so many great features. Tom mentioned earlier that if you want to know where your state is on policy adoption and implementation, right? We have a roadmap for you best part for an advocate has to be the state-specific pages so policymakers can get a really deep understanding of what's currently on the books, what's being implemented, and where they might need to make some improvements. You know, sometimes we note that states tackle literacy policy in a comprehensive manner. Other times, progress is incremental. They might tackle a couple of the principles at a time, knowing they need to come back, right? We've talked about that a little bit with the states today. So having an up-to-date state checklist, so to speak, I really think that gives our leaders a playbook to follow. Beyond that, we also know that our states are sometimes competitive with one another and they like to be on the cutting edge. And so if you visit state pages on earlyliteracymatters.org, you'll see an In Your Neighborhood section at the bottom of each state page. And you know it compares how many policies are on the books in your neighboring states, which can help get some of those policymakers to shift into action if they feel like they're falling behind some of their neighbor states. And then of course, We took into account mobile site optimization, so we can easily access all of the information from earlyliteracymatters.org on our cell phones while we're in state capitals. So go ahead and make sure to check that out because implementation is just as critical as policy passage, if not more. So as we wrap up, why don't we go ahead and reflect on the path forward? So how can we strike a balance between policy mandates and effective literacy practices? What role can collaboration between stakeholders play in promoting student success? Ultimately, our goal is to ensure that all students have access to high quality education and the support that they need to thrive academically and beyond. It's clear that third grade retention laws play a vital role in ensuring students have those foundational literacy skills and that they've mastered them before they move on to fourth grade. By identifying those struggling readers early and providing them those targeted interventions, schools can set students on a path to success.
0: So thank you for tuning in to today's episode of State House Spotlights. We hope you leave this discussion with important context and some insight into the nuances of third grade reading retention policies. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more engaging discussions on important education topics. And don't hesitate to reach out with your thoughts and feedback. Share your opinions with us on social media. You can engage with our team at Excel and Ed in Action on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and X. Please give our podcast a review and subscribe so you are always the first to know about new episodes. Until next time, take care.